The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the Home Cinema Podcast for October. In this edition, we look at the changing face of audio in the home. So joining me on the Home Cinema Podcast is Steve Withers, Ed Selly and Russell Williams. Good evening, guys. Evening, Phil. Evening, Phil. Evening, Phil. And uh, this is a bit of a, an audio podcast tonight. So why are we tackling audio? Well, the next couple of podcasts, we're going to delve into a number of subjects. Uh, the main cinema subject is next month where hopefully we're going to talk to uh, some of the big names like Dolby and Datasat about what the future is for the cinema. So in this podcast we're actually going to look at how people are listening to audio nowadays in the home. The AVR market, the AV receiver market, really struggling at the minute Ed and um, you speak to manufacturers and they give you the the optimistic yes you get dips and in, 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 in troughs sometimes in sales but Really, the, the sales, if you look at the JFK data, sales at AV receivers are well down. It's pretty grim. Part of the problem is something we touched on last podcast, that everyone is waiting for whatever technology is being talked up, and they sort of convince themselves that that is the, uh, the next big thing that they need. Uh, and with, with the basic core functionality of receivers now being pretty much unchanged for at least three seasons... People are just uh, part of the problem is people are hanging fire. You know, there's there's less money to go around, and they aren't going to risk it on something which risks obsolescence. So, with with everyone sort of holding fast, uh, 4K processing and 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 you know perhaps the next big big sound format somewhere and waiting in the wings, it, it sort of breeds an uncertainty which then doesn't help an already fairly sick market. Now, obviously, back in your uh, dark and distant past, uh, you have worked for a, a couple of audio companies, Yamaha, one of them, and uh, Audio Partnership. So you've got a bit of an insight, maybe, uh, I'm trying to remember how long ago that was, maybe six, seven years ago. Um, uh, I mean, I yes, it's been it's been a fair amount of time now, but it, uh, I'm pleased to say that the, the basic the basic tenets remain the same. So, looking at it from from that point of view, when you were involved in the industry in in that capacity to where we are now, are you seeing a, a big change in in what consumers are actually using at home? Um, the core values of what they're doing haven't haven't changed. You know, night haven't made a night and day change. But yes, the the, the major difference is that. Um, Products now have to, in in some way, shape, or form, uh, integrate with with uh, you know listening to material online. Uh, there's far less in the way of physical format, and this applies to both multi-channel and and two-channel. It, it's more often than not coming from a stored media reservoir somewhere in the house and whether they're playing it back over usb over network so on and so forth the simple number of file types that something like a blu-ray player now has to be at least conversant with uh it, i mean it, i can always remember being a bit surprised at cambridge audio when we, we had a product where, which required nine licenses as i understand it now one of the one of the blu-ray players from cambridge audio or any other number of manufacturers will have 15 or 20 um, just to keep track with the sheer number of, of, of items that people are trying to play through them. And this obviously has a, a significant effect on the development time, development costs, and and essentially just how many of something you need to sell before it's a worthwhile proposition to do it. 
Of course, looking back in the past, Steve, you know, we were waiting on the digital formats coming into the home. I mean, if you go all the way back to Laserdisc, you know, we had ProLogic Sound, then we had AC3, Dolby Digital, DTS then came on board. Now we've got almost lossless sound, which we've had for about three or four years now in the, in, in the guises of uh, DTS Master Audio and uh, Dolby True HD. Have we reached a point now where they can't go any further with that technology, do you think? Well, no, they can always go further, can't they, Phil? I mean, there's one thing that the industry is good at. It's, it's finding something else to sell people. But, uh, you know, from my perspective, I certainly thought at one point that, uh, you know, 7.1 lossless audio, that, that's pretty good. I mean, that, that does that's good for me. You know, uh, I've got seven speakers in the sub, 7.1 does the trick. Um, and I think most people probably struggle with having more than seven speakers in their room. I think most people probably struggle having more than five speakers in their room plus a subwoofer. So the fact that manufacturers are now talking about, uh, and we're going to talk about this a lot more next month, but, you know, adding more speakers, 9.1, 11.1, 9.2, 11.2 systems, and specifically adding in height speakers, um, feel they obviously feel that uh, you know they they can add more value with uh, sound formats and speakers uh, systems that that, that add, add extra extra channels and also height channels, um, which is great. Obviously, uh, I have heard some demos of this stuff, um, and uh, can't say it blew me away. Um, and movies aren't mixed like that, although some are starting to be. Again, things are changing. Uh, so things are always changing. I guess I mean Ed made the point at the beginning about uh, you know people holding fire because they don't know what's coming along the, down the pipe. Uh, and that's true. I mean, there are definitely th- things in, in, in the works, uh, to both in terms of video and in terms of audio. But but that's always the case. So I, I guess if you sit on the fence for too long, you end up sitting on the fence forever. Um, and certainly, as you said, Phil, for the last, since 2006, we've had uh, lossless audio. We've had um, Dolby True HD and, and DTS Master Audio. And, and you know, I, I, I'm always still amazed sometimes that, you know, we actually have something that sounds that good as a home format. Um, you know, it's basically you know, the same as in the cinema. Uh, and that that in itself is incredible. I mean, now we're hopefully we're taking the next step in video terms, where hopefully we can reach a point where you can also have the same uh, at home in terms of video as, as you get at the cinema. I mean, we are certainly at a tipping point now where we could be going towards genuine home cinema, whereas before it has been to a degree of compromise. Um, but you're right, Phil. Yeah, there's um, is 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 uh, is it enough? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> this is the honest answer. Russell, looking at the way people live nowadays, is home cinema dead? No, I don't. I don't think it's dead. I mean, the, the, I think the lack of sales might be as much down to just the weariness of it all. Every five minutes, they're trying to flog you something new that doesn't necessarily improve what you've got. I mean, if you've got seven point one channels in the home, nine point two, whoopee do! It's not going to sound any better necessarily than what you've got already. I, just, I think it's just sort of like upgrade fatigue to a certain degree. There haven't been any decent quantum leaps lately to make people spend on it um i think home cinema itself though is as alone as kicking as it ever has been people want a picture they want big sound and problem is they've already got it there's a certain irony when we're talking about the uh, headroom channels i mean obviously from the yamaha background it's something that yamaha on its own sort of pushed uh, as, a, as, as a yes as a, as an entirely bespoke piece of processing and it was always a sort of well, yeah, good luck with that. And um, <laughs> it was it was sort of left. It was something that was was you know very rarely implemented at shows, just to show people and remind people it existed. The, the irony for me is that if I were to add two extra speakers to my lounge, it would be an order of magnitude easier for me to add uh, two height channels at the front than it would be to get speakers six and seven working in any way convincingly. 
at the back simply because like a number of lounges my my sofa is up against a wall um you know the rear of the house the rear of the lounge is the rear of the lounge and but channel six and seven are a classic marketing point wasn't it right we've got your speakers from the front we've got them around the side now we can put them around the back forgetting that actually as long as you're looking at a screen at the front your brain doesn't really care what's going on behind it well it, 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 no that's a fair the, the home scenario experience how can I put it uh, the efforts should have been glued towards creating a big hemisphere of sound in front of you rather than trying to encircle you, because that's generally the way you focus on the world. You're at a point where your eyes see. Well, I think it's a valid yeah, point. I mean, I, there's some mileage in that. That uh, pre, um, the, up until recently, uh, films are only mixed in 5.1, so adding two more speakers at the rear is actually, you know, for the home format, doesn't necessarily make any difference because the films themselves are mixed at 5.1. Now they are mixing films at 7.1. So, so yeah. that, that there, there are genuine, true, discrete mixes. Um, Either for the cinema or, or, or remix for, for home for the home market, which actually do use the two rear speakers, the two additional rear speakers. My, in my case, uh, Ed, I've got the opposite problem to you. I can't have uh, height speakers at the front because the entire wall's a screen. <laughs> so Touché. there's nowhere to put <laughs> any more speakers. <laughs> and that's not because he lives in a in a big room. It's just <laughs> it's just the width width of the room, isn't it? So I mean, I'm the yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, I've can't you get any, can't you get any above your screen? No, you've seen it, Russell. The the speak that because uh, the front floor standards, the, the the screen's just above high, there. Yeah. There is no room uh, above the screen to the. I mean, it's about a foot between the screen and the ceiling, and yeah, about not, ten, in, about two inches either side of the walls. But I think yeah. this touches on a wider problem, doesn't it? That five speakers of one size or another plus subwoofer is generally achievable in the bulk of UK lounges if the customer is mind minded to do it. The moment that you say, actually, right, we're, we're going to increase from five, it doesn't really matter where you start adding them. You every With every time you do it, you reduce the number of people. It's not even a case of willing to do it, simply able to do it. Yes. It's yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, I, I wired my last house for, for, um, for seven Seven, well, what it was seven point two, which I'm still waiting for the point two, um, and and in the new house I have actually got pretty much the same room behind my sofa as I had at the last one. I haven't bothered wiring back there for the rear channels. It didn't live up to it didn't live up to the hype the first time round. I can't be bothered to knock holes in the plaster for it a second time round. I mean, I, I'm exactly the same. I've stuck with five two for as long as I can remember, um, and I saw no point. Um, have you, I, you haven't got five two though, have you? Sorry, is there only five two? There's no five point two soundtracks out there, so you've well, only got five point one. I've got f- all right. If it's, like the, it's like the old four G iPad. It's like your four G iPad uh, argument. It's a four G item, but it doesn't actually do four G. Yeah, okay. If we're going to get pedantic, then uh... yeah, <laughs> you started it. What was February, as I recall? How's that for a grudge? What? <laughs> I thought you had three subwoofers still. Oh, let's let's not get into that. Um, let's just. I've stuck with five point one. And I've saw I've seen no reason to go to seven channels at all, um, and I have the room for it. I've just never seen never seen the the, the point of it um, because five point one works for me in my room, and I'm happy with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the, the fact is that a, a as you we've already discussed, the films haven't re- until recently been mixed for anything other than five point one anyway. But any sound system, unless you're building it from scratch and building that room from scratch and everything. Any sound system tends to be a compromise, doesn't it? I mean, there's, all, there's always compromises being made in terms of speaker positioning, in terms of um, you know what, what equipment you use, uh, how loud you can go, the, the room itself, the, the acoustics, uh, any treatments that you do. Everything's a compromise, and and for most people, you know, who are using these things in their front room, 
you know, you're going to have the problems of it's a living space and you therefore can't have speakers everywhere. And the wife won't really want you to put speakers all over the place and you don't want wires trailing around the floor. So everything's a compromise. And the reality is that the way we live our lives today, most people don't, 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 don't it would seem, don't really want speakers all over their rooms. They just want something that's convenient and easy to use. Yeah, well, I've got to say, um, obviously, I'm lucky in that I have a dedicated room which is wired up for 5.1, but my living room, I'll listen through the TV. I have yeah. no no external <laughs> audio in the living room at all. I listen through the TV. Um, I've got I've got a couple of JBL control ones wired into that uh, Kuro, <laughs> and that's the front room. <laughs> but you see, the, I think you hit on a very valid point there, Steve, which is that um, you know most normal people are in relationships. There are the other half, the kids, uh, and so on to to take into consideration when you're putting together a system. And it seems to be that, that as well, that the way that things are, are going now, more people are streaming their audio, more people are using Spotify or iTunes or any of the other uh, audio streaming services. And if you look at a modern AV receiver nowadays, uh, the amount of stickers or logos that go along the front of these things, they seem to have absolutely everything built in. But Ed, is, is it getting to the point now where, where that's actually confusing the consumer because there's, there's too much on an AVR? Uh, there's two two distinct problems with this. Um, the first, yes, as you say, there's a degree of confusion. Um, the uh, Japanese house brand habit of the big colourful sticker listing what it does, like a used car, um, it's it becomes counterproductive when it's literally paid sort of reams of information containing, you know, some of the things will be automatically familiar to people. That's good. Other things will be, you know, considerably less, less sort of recognizable. And this, this does, does create confusion. The other uh, point is with some justification, there's a deep rooted cynicism amongst many consumers. Um, and if amplifier A cost 500 pounds four years ago, and it was seven channels, yada 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 did the various formats and then amplifier b in 2012 is still seven channels still notionally the same power output and is doing every single one of these extra features something has got to give and people you know you you do find some people make can make specific points about you know remote controls suddenly becoming sort of two ounces in weight and feeling like they'll blow away in the wind or or other other sort of control interfaces beginning to you know feel more plasticky and less less well assembled people do feel that in in trying to do absolutely everything and do it at the same price the the sort of core competencies of some of these products is, is beginning to suffer i mean the ability to for some of the lower range AV receivers to drive a sort of remotely complicated five-channel load. I, I, you know, I make no bones about it. I think it, it is it is slipping, and you know, if you are compromising sound quality to put everything, including the kitchen sink, onto something, I don't think that that's a particularly healthy combination. Now you yeah. see, Ed, Ed there's done something that's unusual when people get to talking about AV amplifiers. It's one thing that really gets on my go. He's actually finally mentioned the sound quality word. Which well, again, I am old-fashioned. Remember? Uh, well, well, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've I've had a few AVRs through this room, and um, the one that sounded the best was quite simply the one that did the least. It was the one that didn't forget that its prime role in this world is to amplify sound. You're going to talk about amplifying. and not process, not process video because you can do that in the video. You can do that in the you can do that in the video display or through a through a separate process. It's just I'm just 
the, the, the core competency of amplifiers, I think, was forgotten pretty much about five years ago, and only a few people have actually ever bothered to remember it along the way. Yeah, I've got to say, on ours, I mean, not that it was a bad-sounding um, AV receiver, the Sony was, did sound really good, but it had so many features on it that, it, I mean, uh, most of which I would never use. I mean, 90% of which I probably would never use. I mean, I had to use them for the, you know, for the review, but in terms of actual day-to-day -day usage, you know, all I'm ultimately want is, is it to amplify, <laughs> to decode and amplify um, the signal. And, and, that, and that's primarily what it's going to be used for day in, day out. And all the other stuff is really just bells and whistles. They're obviously there for, for marketing purposes as much as anything else. Same as you get with TVs with a host of features you don't, don't need. Um, it's the same principle with AV receivers. You know, in a competitive marketplace, they're desperately trying to win, you know, um, win consumers over with a whole host of features, the majority of which I don't think they'd even use. And in fact, as Phil said, quite often just confuses them or scares them when they see this massive black box with a whole host of features listed on the front of it. As shown by the sales figure, the consumer is um, feature saturated already. They don't actually know what they, they don't. They don't know what half of their own the features they've got are. Never mind the um, never mind the extra ones that are being added on top of them. Well, I mean, I've I've got a it was a top of the range Onkyo from a couple of years ago, and it has more or less everything on there um, in terms of features. The only things it's missing is, is probably Spotify and uh, some some other streaming stuff that's that's come along in the last couple of years. But you know what? I use it for five point one. Audio. <laughs> I don't use any of the other features on it at all. Is that the one I reviewed? It is. Yes, it is the one you reviewed. Ah, that's one of the few that will actually do five point uh, or two point two from a stereo source as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of sound quality, absolutely nails it. And uh, you know, for for the price that it was sold at, it was it was genuinely a, a top drawer AVR. But like I say, it has so many features on it that I never touch. I never use. Um, because it doesn't fit with my lifestyle. So, again, what we have to remember here is that the, the four of us here are enthusiasts. Um, you know, at least three of us have dedicated rooms. Russell, you've almost got a dedicated room. I, I believe you're still working it's on it. Nearly finished being the workshop for the rest of the house, which will soon be mine. Okay, so let, let's face it: we are not a con we are not typical consumers at all. Uh, one iota. We're all enthusiasts. We're all lucky enough to have separate spaces where we can watch our movies and listen to um, uh, our vinyl that Ed was listening to tonight and so on. Um, we're not typical consumers. So the typical consumer, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a couple of examples. I've been into people's houses who had 5.1 systems and had all five speakers next to the TV. Um, no, you see that in, um, in estate agent photos all the time. It's brilliant. Yes. Get fa yeah. father-in-law left and right speakers are behind plant pots because because mother-in-law doesn't like to be able to see them. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about the typical consumer. Let's also talk about the way people are now decorating their homes. I, I think the minimalist thing is, is certainly taken over, um, where less is more in, in living environments, where you have a, 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 you're lucky if you have a TV nowadays in a living room, um, and that's it. There's nothing else there. They stream their audio on their laptops, um, they have their iPod or their iPhone or some other um, device. Uh, they listen to low-grade low MP3s, and they're not interested in 5.1. So how how do you convince that consumer that, that they're missing out, or is that the type of consumer that will never be interested? I think, to be honest, Phil, that, that consumer is just not going to be interested. I think that boat's gone, and it sank as well. Uh, um, music, The music industry... And audio has changed 
fundamentally in the last five, five or six years, um, totally. I mean, there's a whole generation coming through now who, uh, A, don't think you need to buy music, B, uh, certainly wouldn't buy a CD, just download everything, uh, and all they're interested in is convenience and sharing and access. Um, and they're not, I mean, Ed mentioned it previously, I mean, we were talking about AV receivers, and they've got all these features, but they're letting the uh, sound quality slip. People don't care. People just don't care, I don't think, anymore. You see, the whole free music business actually doesn't, it sounds perverse, but it doesn't necessarily concern me at all. When you look back to one of the last big boom periods of of hi-fi sales and leading into some home cinema sales as well, it was a generation of people who got into listening to music in any way, shape or form by taping stuff off the radio. I mean, it was still music that they weren't paying for. It was perhaps less cynical piracy, but piracy nonetheless. Um, and from that clutch of people came a proportion that were interested in in getting more out of the experience. And even with the, the, the methodology that people are listening to music now, exactly the same thing applies. I mean, it's why every man and his dog is currently trying to produce a pair of headphones, because it gives an in a sort of entry point for that brand in a different sort of environment and even if only one in ten of the people that considered the the earphones or headphones then made a move towards some of the the other offerings on the brand that counts as a win um in many ways one of the more you know one of the problems where music was exclusively available on cd for one for you know for one of a better better set of descriptions um the actual buy-in to listening to music in the first place was was actually surprisingly high and it it, you know precluded a, a large number of people from getting started in the first place so you could argue maybe just as you could just as easily argue against it but i'm not too concerned with the way that the majority of people listen to music at the moment because they are listening to music and from that a percentage of people will want to take it further provided that manufacturers are offering a product which is remotely sensible for their requirements it's an interesting point that you raised with the headphones there and i'm just going to quickly get this one in before russell comes in is that uh, panasonic recently have brought back the technics brand just for headphones because Mm. it's such a powerful brand that they had um, it fits the whole DJ thing, which you know has, has exploded in the last sort of fifteen years. Um, so there's obviously life in it if if a company like Panasonic are bringing back a brand which they killed off you know, five years ago. Yeah, um, it it to me it just points to it, it's perhaps you know in many cases it might be too little too late. Um, if it's done entirely cynically, people will see through it. But nonetheless, this is. You know, you, you, we've all seen the GFK data. This is the growth area. It is the the at the point where people are having to make the effort, and you know they will win a small but useful number of people into being far more interested and conversant in the rest of the offerings from the company. However, they're listening to music. People are list, listening to more music now than I think ever before, because it's think- just so much of it available now in so many different um, you know, media. And, and avenues to listen to music, through, be it through uh, download, through Spotify, through whatever it is, you can, you can um, access so much music now um, that people can listen. Uh, people are definitely, uh, not at all age groups, but particularly the younger generation, are listening to a staggering amount of music. You know, and, and it's a whole world of it. Hundreds, of, 100 years of music is at their fingertips, which is incredible in that sense. 
as long as people are listening to music, some a proportion of those people will want to listen to it better. I mean, I'm probably the same generation as Ed, you know, you know trying to trying trying to record things off the radio, and or particularly the top forty. As I it think was, we all did pause that. It so he didn't have to listen, <laughs> didn't have to listen to the DJ between the tracks, and he could just get a back to back top forty. Oh, so well, well, I mean, quality sounds there <laughs> yeah, was absolutely yeah. there was record levels just right, but you couldn't see the record level because <laughs> because they, the microphone was pointing at the, the radio. Well, that's um, that's when but the... that got from there. You know, so I, I always I always liked music. I was always listening to music. Sooner or later, somehow I got exposed to a piece of hi-fi. Now, and maybe I was the one in ten for whom I was. Oh, that was nice. And I didn't walk away. I then carried on and got it. Nobody was born with an interest in music or born with an interest in hi-fi. They developed it for some reason. Other people developed interest in other things. So be it. You know. But I think there'll always be a baseline of people there who are interested in doing it better than just ripping a low quality MP3 off iTunes or something like that. I've, I've got it's interesting any more than me being somebody who goes and buys high, you know, buys SACDs and things like that to play at home. Um, doesn't think, you know, in spite of that, I do that. I still don't. I still buy the occasional MP3. Think, oh, that would just be fun to have for a few minutes on on the um, on the iPod or something like that. You know, I, I don't think the two are necessarily as mutually exclusive as people like to paint it. Well, I've got to say, I mean, I, I use Spotify on a regular basis, um, and it's it's something that that doesn't put me off. Um, I'll have it in the background while I'm working. I'll have just have it on random or whatever. I don't buy it, um, but the choice is there, and it, it's a huge choice. Um, and it's actually got me back into listening to music again after a long time uh, where I just wasn't interested um, in anything that was going on. I, I'm starting to get back into into music because of Spotify, because I can stream it while I'm working on the PC. So it has its uses, this new technology. I've got to say the sound quality isn't that great on Spotify, but when it's background music, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's good enough. I mean, it, especially when you're... If you're completely bonkers like I am and you're still buying vinyl, Spotify is absolutely priceless because it allows me to work out ahead of time if uh, I'm in danger of buying something because I've heard one track and the rest <laughs> of the album is a complete duffer. Um, Spotify has essentially reduced that risk down to nothing and that alone makes it worth tenner a month for me. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a complete convert. Um, and it's interesting... Uh, I've actually, uh, in the in the spirit of this, I've I've started a, a small sociological experiment this evening. Um, I have sent one of my wife's singing pupils away with the Atomic Floyd Super Darts earphones I reviewed last month, or maybe even the month before, um, because she has totaled her standard pair of supplied buds. Uh, and the most she has ever spent on a pair of earphones is £10. So I've sent her away for a week with a pair of £200 earphones, purely to see if you can, from a completely cold start, bring anyone round to the, not necessarily thinking, yeah, that's great, I'm going to buy a pair, to even seeing if there is a point in anything which is, you know, remotely more expensive than the, you know, available to buy an HMV or, or or lower than that as a as, as a category so it, it's going to be interesting just to see what happens when um when, when she reports back as to whether it makes any difference at all to norm a normal human being in the course of normal day-to-day -day listening so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing and, how that, that and you're expecting out. to get these back in working condition she's ruined I will life. get them back I will get them back in working condition don't, <laughs> I'm, don't I'm gonna keep it, I'm gonna keep it, I'm gonna keep it on eBay <laughs> <laughs> but no, but the, but to be fair, it's an interesting point. Is it? I mean, it'd also be interesting if you could keep it rolling with other students, whether they've got knackered headphones or not. Um, just because yeah. I mean, you said they're music students. 
Uh, they are all singing and piano pupils. They so have these a really are people interest with piano yeah. music. So, so they've sat as a live piano. They know what one should sound like. They yes. surely must have an interest in hearing one sound correct. Well, I mean, they do. They actually... But you'd be astonished. I mean, obviously, they you know they come into the house and there's normally. I mean, obviously, my life being what it is, there's review products scattered around in various various states of connectivity, and some of it people sort of intrinsically get other things come in and it's like you are joking uh when you explain the price or the functionality of it and it's like really um so i mean yeah, and I've, these had, I've had a bit of that like i've had a bit of that lately with an eight foot tall subwoofer well yes you've got four of them well the four of them make an eight foot tall subwoofer <laughs> Well, well, I mean, as I say, we'll see. I mean, right. this is this is the sort of target group of people that we, you know, they, they are uh, in in microcosm the sort of people that the, the industry should be looking at. So, uh, I mean, obviously they can they can uh, subsidise this this entire research program if they, if anyone's listening and feels like giving it a go. But um, it, it, I just think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when you 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 give someone interested in music but not interested in the hardware a significantly better than they're they're used to piece of equipment and 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 see what comes of it so you know i'll i will in the fullness of time feedback on it but does it does does it does does um convenience and sound quality need to be mutually exclusive no absolutely okay. not so what kind of things could people be looking at um that would deliver both the convenience and the sound quality um, well, I mean, the, the, the classic example, and I have to admit, it, it's something uh, that has, you know, won me over in the course of time it spent in the house, was the, the Sonos system I reviewed last month. Uh, I essentially, you know, I, I have you know, reservations as a nutter about the lack of high-res support, yada, yada, yada. But the simple fact of the matter is it was a joy to use. It was completely intuitive to use. You could hand the the, the phone running the app to anyone in the house uh, and they could make it go and they, they grasped it in, intuitively. And, you know, by and large, it sounded pretty good. And that was without even the, you know, the, just the absolute sort of digital head unit item, which will sound pretty much like any digital item that you plug it into. So, I mean, that in an absolute sense can perform as well as, as whatever you connect it to. So, you know, connect uh, convenience and performance are not exclusive, but you'd, be hard pressed to tell based on looking at the vast majority of equipment on sale across multiple genres at the moment. Ed, there are still going to be a, a, a small number of people who will sit in a room between two pairs of speakers and still enjoy listening to music. But is is that niche getting smaller and smaller as, as time goes on? It's actually stabilised. Um, there are obviously long-term question marks. Has it stabilised amongst a group of people who are getting older? Is it winning new converts? Um, and that's much harder to work out. But um, as I've said before, it, I, you shouldn't read too much into it. I mean, essentially, or list, sitting down and listening to music is now in competition with any number of other activities. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that less people choose to do it because they have migrated to doing something they prefer more. Um it's just a case of making sure that in a point in a world where we have less time to devote to any given activities, we're we're, di we're distracted by all manner of things. That equipment, you know, it, just little things in life. Does it start instantly? Does it get going instantly? Can you get what you want out of it inside of a minute? Does it have a stupidly long warm up time or any? You know, things like that begin to count against 
even quite enthusiastic people day in day out and whilst i'm delighted to say a lot of the review stuff i've had for, for multiple things over the last sort of year or two is getting more convenient it was still a demonstration from that sonar system that that you could make it even more sort of user-friendly and immediate than a lot of equipment still is and that would win in many ways that would win stereo more friends than uh, introducing some swanky new feature or something similar so i think manufacturers need to need to look at what lessons they want to learn from equipment that's on sale at the moment they, they have for a long long time underestimated the power of something that just plugs in and works yes well, apple apple i think of masters of, of delivering that haven't they really that their products yeah. look cool and they work but it's and they're intuitive to use and that's the whole basis of their marketing strategy really and their success it's, but I find it's a sad reflection when something arrives in my hand and you turn it on and it works first time, you think, oh, right, okay. It was it was that complicated. Um, I just I mean, the review that, that just went live yesterday, that little ellips, uh, ellipse on Music Centre, you know, I saw, the, I saw the little dongle thing which you could plug into the bottom of your iPhone and, and you could, whatever you pressed play on the iPhone would just come out through the speakers on the ellipse and, and it really was that simple. And I was like, well, this must go wrong. Surely there's going to have to be a point when I can't get the damn thing to sync or something will go, you know, something will go sideways and that'll be the end of that. And it just never failed. It continued to work. And that, it, it's, it's a sad reflection of the times that that was the surprise. Yeah. You've got used to turning, turning something on and going, well, it wasn't like that last time. I, yeah. I, also, I also think that video streaming seems to be one, which uh, some friends of mine are into, that never demonstrates the same twice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, on the video side of things, we're still not quite there on the whole plug and play. <laughs> and, well, and even even network visited. audio streamers. Uh, I mean, in, it, yep. I'm pleased to say I'm now at a point where um, I have sufficiently stable UPnP servers that the vast majority of UPnP clients that I plug in will find the server and be going pretty quickly. But you only need to stick your head around the door of the streamers section or let, let alone look at some of the sort of help and support sites I'm privy to. And that is universally not the case out out there in the big wide world and you know the whole concept of selling something that it will automatically talk to something else and then it doesn't is the quickest and most effective way of undermining the public's faith and enthusiasm in something yeah yeah universal plug and pray was probably the, uh, <laughs> the most, most inept piece of naming ever wasn't it i mean i mean i've only i mean the only streaming thing i really run at home is a little squeeze box which is probably about as simple as it gets or was as simple about, about as simple as it gets but i mean I'm, I'm out here in the sticks a little bit every now and again you get a power cut everything comes back on everything's got a different ip address on the network then you have to you have to you suddenly you have to become a computer wizard to make it all talk to each other again yeah and that's, some sort of, that's unforgivable <laughs> i know i know there are plenty of technical reasons why that is the case but it shouldn't need to be not in this day and age yeah true I think just going back to the point that you guys made about um, listening to music, actually taking the time to sit down and listen to music and how that you know, is a diminishing market, I think that's partly just because of the way we live our lives. I mean, if I use myself as an example, 20 yeah. years twenty years ago, um, you know, there were four channels on the TV, a VCR, a radio, and a stereo. So and a, and you could read a book. And that, that was pretty much it. So listening to music was, was a treat, and, and I did do it. I would actually make, take the time and the effort to sit down and listen to a, a new CD. Now, I don't watch TV just exclusively. I, I will be watching it, unless I'm reviewing the TV. No, I'm watching TV, and I'm on the internet at the same time, and I'm doing other things, um, and listening to music and doing other things. It's, it's just become multitasking. And the only thing that I put aside time to do now, 
to be honest, is is watching movies, which is in a separate room and it's no interference, no no you know, lights are out and that's a proper full-on movie experience. But the rest of it's all all kind of shoehorned in amongst with with each other. I don't even get time to read a book anymore, which is a shame because I do miss reading books. But I think that's the way most people live their lives now. They they tend to multitask. Yes. And, and music and music lends itself very easily to that way of life because you can well, have it on in the background. Yeah, I mean, for instance, I mean, I, I mean, I commute a fair distance in, in my in my real job, so that's naturally a good time to listen to music because I've got I've got an hour plus on my hands each way of, of doing nothing. But even w- with the current generation of technology, even in thinking about, I've never really thought about it until this conversation. Even that time is being slightly subdivided because the time which I'd spend almost entirely listening to music and maybe a bit of radio as well, I now listen to the occasional podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you get phone calls from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll sit down, occasionally listen to the AV Forums uh, Cinema Podcast, which is a bit like, you know, looking at pictures of yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Steve will know about that. Um, and uh, but or you know, something like the Infinite Monkey Cage or things like that. I find it's actually, you know, um, I'm not. If anything, actually, it's replaced the radio rather than the music listening because I can now be more selective about the type of programme I want to listen to. It's a good point about commuting, because as my life, as my listening habits changed, commuting, when I used to commute, uh, came the time that I would listen to music. Same time that, you know, before that, before I had an iPod, um, you know, it would be the time that I read, and then it became a time that I listened to music. And either in the car or or on a train or whatever, you you could listen to music, and that was was your your listening period. But now that, like Phil, you know, I don't commute to a workplace, but... I don't have the restrictions of a workplace because I work from home. I do what Phil does. I listen to music in the background while I'm doing stuff, um, yeah. which again is, is 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 it lends it lends itself to that particular pleasure. You know, it's nice to have something in the background, cause particularly when you're at home on your own. Otherwise, it can get a bit you know empty and lonely. <laughs> but a background noise is always quite pleasant. Aww. See, the commuting question there has just brought something to my mind. In actual, I was rewinding there when I first used to start commuting to my job, which admittedly was cycling to the middle of town. You know, to work in a hi-fi shop years and years and years ago. Of course, back then I used to do it with a Sony Walkman, and it suddenly, which, which a, uh, looping back to a part of the conversation we had earlier, I've just realised I used to uh, listen to on Technics headphones. B was probably the period of my life when I bought the least music because I used to tape it all. And if anything, I'm probably buying more now than I did then, even though I've got recording formats coming out of my ears quite literally. It's uh, it's a funny one. I mean, um, the weirdest thing. I mean, if. For my, as I say, I now work from home as well. Um, one of the strangest things um, when you explain to people, it's like, oh, I'm looking forward to uh, to actually sitting back and listening to some music. And people are going, well, hang on, what have you spent all day doing? And trying to explain to someone that there's a difference between critically reviewing something's audio, the audio performance or something, and then actually listening to something because I want to listen to it. Um, and they are, they're not always mutually exclusive, but they, they often can be. Um, so it's a weird one that when there's a lot of review kit going through, I'm listening, but it's not in an R and R sort of recuperative sense of, of of how I perhaps set out to do this originally. Well, no, the, diff- a, the difference is is that when you're reviewing, you're listening to the kit. When you're listening to music, you're listening to the music. I mean that that's a really good point. I mean it's one of the reasons I gave up reviewing well it's DVDs back then when I gave up reviewing that, but. I, I, I got to the stage where I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying the, the experience because I was having to look at the print quality. I was, I was having to listen listen to the soundtrack, whereas the whole point as a soundtrack is that you get lost in it and it doesn't take you out of the film. Whereas when you're critically reviewing something like that, um, you're doing all the things that normal people don't do. 
Uh, and at the same time, you lose enjoyment in it. And that's it's one of the reasons I gave up reviewing films was, was that I wasn't getting the enjoyment out of it anymore because I was having to put my work hat on and I wasn't sitting back and just enjoying it. Yeah, I can, I can vouch for that, sure. Having done some Blu-ray reviews, it totally <laughs> robbed it of any real enjoyment and became a chore. Um, which is never what you want to want it to be, really. And the same goes with people go, oh, it was a great being watching movies and TV all day long. Well, no, because you're not watching and getting caught up in the film or, or, or the program. You know, you're watching the, the, the what it's being displayed on, and so you're looking at the picture quality and the sound quality. And and, and like I'd said, you know, it's it's a big difference between watching something for pleasure and watching something or listening to something um, for work. I've often good. noticed actually that, that the items I'm reviewing, or particularly with respect to speakers, that if I'm really actually enjoying the speaker, they're the ones that tend to have actually the least notes written about them, because they're yeah, generally the ones. Yeah, that. yeah. You, you'll put you'll put you'll put a favourite track on, and or, or whatever, and then suddenly you'll find your, your 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 five tracks into it, and you didn't even think about turning it over, and you forgot to write. And that's what that that's the one thing actually our scoring I think lacks in our reviews when we're doing the wee ticking the wee boxes for the you know the you know acceptable reference. Brilliant, whatever. There should be an. There should be an enjoyment bar. Yeah, that's it. That's 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 it. Yeah, one pipe and slippers, two pipe and slippers. You know what I mean? There should be that bar down there. Particular speakers as well. There's actually a valid point that Russell makes there, which is I've got the full lounge jacket on for this one. Clinical appraisal of something in an objective way, and just pure enjoyment. That is a valid point, actually. Is- well, this is why I mean, actually Stuart and I have had this discussion when I came on board. You know, should we be measuring audio products in the same way that we, we measure the televisions? And I'm, I, I, you know, I, I actually find measurements quite, in, you know, quite useful. But um, the number of products over the years that have passed through these four walls that, broadly speaking, measurement-wise, are absolutely nothing to get excited about but are sonically fabulous simply because you know just simply getting the lowest distortion possible is not necessarily the route to sonic perfection um it, it would it would negate a huge amount of stuff which has been unbelievably enjoyable and you know i i just it, the the subjectivity of audio perhaps over video sort of means i don't have quite the same level of burnout that that that, that the tv guys do but yeah i mean it's it's always a case of um a balancing act, and it, obviously, it's a very valid point that you make there. It is subjective, totally subjective audio, and it's the same with film. If you're viewing film um, and comedy, it's all it, it, it's all subjective, and it all comes down to the person at the end of the day. Um, and one of the hardest things that we found, because we were so objective with the display side of things, and you can measure it, and re- and it's repeatable, and and everything can be on the same level playing field with audio with film with whatever comedy and 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 so on that's the difficult point in finding people that can properly assess the equipment and it's one of the things that we've really struggled with is getting people like yourself and like russell who not only are, are enthusiasts but actually you know understand the the physics and and everything else that goes into it, but also has an ear which is is going to match a, a, a wider range of people than somebody who's really subjective in a certain way. Who uh, and I'm sorry for bringing this up, but uh, it's something that I've noticed over the years that prefer a warm speaker, and anything that isn't warm in its sound doesn't get scored very well. And and 
you know, you just have to look through the publications over the years to see the phrases that were used and the scores that went with those phrases. And it was it was easy to pick up on what that particular reviewer liked because they were biased towards, I don't know, a BMW sound or they were biased towards a KEF sound or... And but if you can if you can pick out a reviewer as doing that, then he, those are the reviews you don't want to read. Exactly, it's not about his personal preference. Exactly, it's the reviewer's job to sit there and write and say, "This is what it sounds like." Exactly, exactly, and and, 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 and articulate what it sounds like, and then, then let the individual who has the subjective preference work yeah, out whether yeah. that dovetails in with their preference yeah. or not. I've reviewed plenty of speakers that I've given great marks to that I'd never buy yeah. because they do what they do very well. It doesn't matter whether my preference is for that speaker or not. Yeah. Well, and like I say, that is the hardest thing to get. That That is the hardest thing to find because um, it's not objective. It, it's not like displays. And, and you know, um, I'm not getting down on Steve and Mark or myself, but, you know, you can train people up to do the objective side of things. Um, obviously, you can't give them the experience, but experience, yeah. a bit of experience comes with with doing so, time. You know, but, but time. far far bit for me to 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 to, to, um, to want to talk video for any length of time than when certainly any more time is actually <laughs> necessary. But do you think three D has in, has injected a certain amount of subjectivism subjectivism back into video? Because it's to be fair, the best video display was the one that measured the best, whereas three D is an altogether more subjective experience, and you can't measure which. Can you measure which one does it better? Yes, it's you can. Certainly demonstrating the, re the the reviewers which have got properly binocular vision and those that don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, the, the, in the absence of any strict industry standards in the way there are with 2D, but you can still use the same 2D standards to apply them to 3D. I mean, you can still measure things like grayscale and color gamma and, and measure them through the glasses. So there is still a degree of object objectivity. Um, but and you can look, you can look for things like crosstalk, which clearly you know if if a, if a display is riddled with crosstalk, yeah. that's not going to be a good three D experience. That's the end of it. No. Uh, um, and if it's not bright enough, you know, there are lots of factors that that, that will dictate good or bad three D performance. And whilst it may not be quite as uh, uh, quite as objective as some of the two D reviewing, I mean, there's still a lot of criteria you can use there. And I think it's interesting though that before we started recording this podcast, Ed and I were talking about the same set of speakers that both of us have recently looked at. And had completely different opinions on, on not sound quality, but the look of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and that just shows to show that, that, that a lot of it is still subjective. I mean, in anything, the same goes with a TV. I, I like black bezels, but well, that, bring, that, that brings us onto the, onto the heart of the whole speaker thing, anyway, doesn't it? You know, you've got two different subjective opinions over there over exactly the same relatively innocuous-looking loudspeaker. Um, this, this dovetails onto the way that people want hi-fi or AV to dovetail into their front rooms. In fact, whether they want to see it at all, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and that that moves on to the other thing, which is you know, when you're two blokes who've actually got speakers in your room, and you can't agree whether you like the look of the things <laughs> or not. Some people don't even some people don't even want the damn things in the room at all. I mean, oh, you, I mean, I, I mean, I've got I have the review speakers in my room all the time. When they're not there, I'm using a set of Tannoy Inwalls, and I'm perfectly happy doing so as well. It's only because I lack anything like the DIY skill required to do that without damaging my house. <laughs> Russell will build you a house and the speakers to go in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, provided I can pay him in earphones, it's fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I've necessarily actually got the skill. I mean, it's one of those things you sort of learn along the way. And plus, there's a certain preparedness like, okay, I'm going to drill a hole in this wall. What's the worst that can happen? I've got to filler it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, I, I, the hardest part DIY is getting started. Yes, yeah, so maybe that's where I've been going wrong all these years. I, I never got started. Well, I mean, uh, this, this brings us on nicely to, to wrap up the conversation in in 
the appearance of kit nowadays. And, of course, the, the masters of it at the moment are Apple. Um, they've managed to to sell by the bucket load based on design and functionality, like we, d- we described earlier on, that it just works. And it's one of these things that we always take the mickey out of fanboys because they use the phrase, well, it just works. But in the majority of cases, they're actually bang on the money. When it comes to home cinema or hi-fi or whatever, it's getting the kit in the room and it's getting the kit to work with the decor. Compromises have to be made. Not everybody's like the four of us with dedicated rooms where we can paint it black or we can, you know, black it out completely and have the speakers on display because we like that kind of thing and so on. If we get back to reality and, and real life, these things have to fit with a lifestyle. So is this another compromise like the convenience of MP3 and, and, and the iPod that is, is going to take quality out of the equation, Ed? It shouldn't do. Um, and the most important thing that's happened in the last couple of years is that we've finally grown out of the idea that um, equipment needs to be sort of 14 inches wide. Um, you know, it should be the same width as a turntable, really. I mean, that's com- completely pointless to my mind. A classic case in point, the Ellipson uh, MC1 that Russell's just reviewed, it's a lovely thing. Let's ignore for a moment, it also performs extremely well, it's extremely clever, it's quite flexible. It has absolutely no, there's no design reasons at all why it can't be out and it can't be a, a folk, not a focal point, but certainly not embarrassed to be part of the furniture of almost any sane listening room. And when you combine it with the, the planets that Ellipson make as well, it does become a focal point. People will go in and go, what is that? It actually looks, um, you know, well, for my mind, I mean, taste again, as we've demonstrated, is subjective. I think it looks fabulous. And it's a demonstration that if manufacturers are minded to do something properly, you don't need to compromise on any of the points of performance. For an all-in-one system, that's an exceptionally good one. And it still looks like it belongs in a very smart, minimalist or or otherwise quite stylized living environment. It doesn't have to be a big black box with multiple knobs on. Um, you know, and people and manufacturers would do well to remember that. Yeah, I mean the the, um, the ellipse and planet L's. I think you have the. Do you have the planet M's? You have the little ones. Yes. Yeah, I've got the, the foot diameter ones. I mean, they, they've certainly drawn comment from anybody who's ever walked into the room and seen them. Even they're sort of like you know, sort of AV AV luddite friends of mine who just you know come around and happily accept that I'm always going to have big boxes in. But those universally drew good comment. The only thing they tended to say was, "Well, I wouldn't have them in red." To which the replies were, well, "You're in luck because they do other colours as well." Yeah. Um, but you, no, yeah, you, you're actually proud to have it on display. The little MC one is, you know, it's, it's just a, it's just a gorgeous solid coin of metal that sits there glinting in the corner of the room without in any way, shape or form looking offensive. Yeah. Just yeah. an example of combining uh, design style with quality performance. Um, and unfortunately though, I think that tends to be the rarity these days. TVs, for example, have become quite stylish to look at. You know, they've got very thin, very thin bezels, very thin chassis, uh, you know, very, very, very design heavy and stylized look to them. Um, shockingly bad sound and uh, quite often very poor backlight uniformity because of the because of the ed- edge light LEDs to make them so thin. So you've got to, you know, you're sacrificing picture quality and sound quality for something that looks nice in the living room, um, which is unfortunate as far as TVs go. And it's a shame if we end up going down the same road in terms of audio. 
Well, I mean, the ellipsons are a useful demonstration that you don't have to compromise, provided that some some level of design integrity is, is is maintained. I mean, obviously, I take your point. Something like an AV receiver, there are physical limitations to shrinking the size of the power supply, the amplification. Even if you switch over to Class D, there will still be limits to how small it should be made. Uh, or, or you try and you know, try, avoid trying to do something crazy with heat sinking or the like. But in terms of so many items, uh, I just think that there is just a, a fundamental lack of bravery uh, in 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 design ethos. Okay, so in in that last bit, Steve actually mentioned something which is really quite relevant, and that is um, if you look at, at at a TV nowadays, it sounds terrible because. You can't change the laws of physics. When something gets thinner and thinner and thinner, um, you, you know the speaker system in in these things is not going to work. So, let's finally talk about the solutions to that and the fact that not everybody's going to have four subwoofers that get up to eight feet. Seriously, Russell? Shame, shame on them. Shame on them. Yeah, but I mean, seriously, how big is that market going to be? It's it, it's not going to be a huge market, is it? I mean, who's got eight foot a room? everybody with a modern house film because that's how broad <laughs> a piece of plasterboard is which governs the height of your ceilings yeah but you can see what i'm getting at you know if no, you, th- to be fair that is an extreme example of uh, i mean you'll, you'll have to wait for the review and you'll see what happens but basically it, it's one subwoofer that's two foot tall yeah which has been designed so you can stack other ones on top of it you could choose to do four in a column or one in either corner of the room or just buy one yeah, yeah. Um, it's just you know, it's just there as a logical logical extension of a system building ethos. Yeah, but of course that's that's not going to go for everybody, and and we're trying to keep this this conversation wide open to a wider spectrum of the market and, and where things are going because you know you just have to look at the sales figures and see that that people are not buying the traditional five point one receiver, they're not buying the traditional five point one speaker package. So, guys. They're going to need to get better speakers for their TVs. You have to, like I'd said earlier on with the headphones, that is like one angle to get people into the industry and maybe a few of them would would want to take it further. Is it not true with today's TVs, because they're getting flatter and thinner and thinner and sounding terrible, that there are products there that uh, people can add to the system and make the TV sound a little bit better and then maybe they will migrate into adding a subwoofer and then some rear speakers and so on? Yeah, definitely. Um, Again, uh, going back to personal experience, the maybe an idea ahead of its time, but slowly coming into into focus now, is is Yamaha's sound projectors. Uh, I mean, back at the time that they sort of arrived, TVs were still thick enough that they they were able to, you know, perform to a reasonable standard on their own. Uh, in this day and age, that you are looking at a, a, a nice self-contained solution from a brand that still has a degree of penetration beyond the audio industry, because of obviously, you know, it was on the side of the jet ski you rented in Malaga. Um, and things like that. And another classic case in point is Q Acoustics who delivered a system today it's not a sound projector based system but it's them looking at producing a a conventional speaker system at the sort of price that someone might buy normally buy a subsat package and how it's interesting and i'll obviously cover it in, in in more detail in the review the sort of design cues and efforts they've made to make fitting a speaker which is larger than a satellite into the same space a practical and realistic um, solution and it again it goes back to people just needing to 
think slightly outside of the you know the straitjacket norm- normality and just just think what it requires to win over a customer who isn't looking at you know isn't automatically leaning towards the the biggest lariest system that they they can get i mean to be fair to q acoustics they they did do that like russell said the qtv system which uh was designed to bolt onto the back of the the flat panel and then the speakers either on the side or below or, yeah um and then you got sound bars which we've we've obviously touched on with the yamaha sound projector and so on I mean, there are solutions out there, but it, it still seems to it still seems to be that people are are not cutting on to the fact that they could get far better audio with just a, a minimal outlay for something like a soundbar to start with. And, and I honestly think if if people did that, then we would find more people then upgrading and and going for uh, the bigger lifestyle packages. So it still fits in with the environment, but they're getting that performance. I mean. Russell, you re- reviewed the Kef speakers a little while back, which are almost flat, and and you were quite amazed with the, the sound quality you were getting out of them. Yeah, I, w- I was I was quite ta- quite taken with the Kefs. Um assuming people do want um, something broadly the height of their TV to bolt to the wall alongside their TV, and are prepared to channel cables into their wall to make it look like they're hanging there, but that there seems to be a relatively limited market for people to prepare to do that if, is it, if is you it a limited market drift. or is it just that they I don't mean, know that there's an option i mean the, the the selling point mainly of the kefs was was mainly that they were so very 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 thin but that almost didn't seem to matter when you're looking at something that's four inches wide and two foot tall because when you're sitting in front of it you see the face of it so it's it the problem with speakers like that is again they're, they're regardless of how good they are or not and i think we've virtually all got a pair of golden ear something or others at the moment that are sort of broadly aiming at a similar sort of market um how can i put it is the, the physical presence of the face of the thing seems the limiting factor of them regardless of how clever they are in making them skinny well i mean there are solutions to that as well but uh, again it, it, it they are ironically a harder sell when they're sat there as inert objects if you actually decide to run the radiating area down the sides a sort of dipole effect it actually can be made to work quite well but the result normally looks a bit ungainly until they're in situ so i mean part of the yeah. problem that phil alluded to with a number of these systems the reason why the general awareness amongst the public is is relatively low is in defence to retailers, before I, you know, launch into a trade, they aren't demonstrated often or well because they require almost exactly the same outlay in space and um, and and sort of, you know, partnering ancillaries that more expensive and more profitable equipment does. And if they're just sat there on the shop floor trying to compete with absolutely everything else, they are singularly underwhelming. It's not, an, it's not an, especially something which, like a sound projector, if it's trying to do wall refract, refraction to put energy behind you, it's, it's doomed. It just isn't going to do anything useful. So it, to get people involved in it, you actually, first of all, you have to encourage them to go into a dedicated demonstration environment. That's not easy. You then have to make sure that they are able to do what they can do in a lounge in that demonstration environment and then you have to be fully aware that you've given over a space that you would normally use to sell considerably more expensive equipment to make a gamble on someone who may not have been thinking about buying something in the first place it's an interesting point you raise there because my mind instantly goes back to the gadget show live 
and the stand that was directly opposite us, which was a, no, a, no, a, please, a no. major manufacturer. Take that live. <laughs> a ma- major manufacturer who were demonstrating a, uh, I think it was a large screen sharp TV with this little Onkyo system that cost £1,000. And it's a cracking little system for what you're getting for your money. The problem was that it was turned up too loud. It wasn't set up right. It was distorting like hell. We sorted the TV picture for them, and within five minutes, they switched it back to dynamic mode because that's how they thought it should have been. And and when you've seen equipment demonstrated like that to, to the public, it just says, well, you know, they're not going to want something that sounds like it's distorting to hell or farting away with the subwoofers turning up too too high. And and it's like buying a TV as well. I mean, it's it's like the public's just not getting the best out of the, the equipment at the demonstration stage because... Let's face it, if it's a major major retailer like that, they've got such a high turnover of staff that the staff aren't trained properly, the staff's not getting demonstrated properly, and the poor old public aren't getting to see what the equipment is is capable of doing. Yeah, and it's still a shame because there is a window opportunity here to um, sell better audio equipment because, as we've just said, modern TVs sound terrible, almost exclusively. Almost every single one sounds awful uh, with a few notable exceptions because of the fact that sorry which are the exceptions well basically if you've got a massive screen like a 65 inch you tend to sound better because they're just bigger it goes down to the same principle you know you you can't cheat the laws of physics you know if you you need space to put a speaker in um and most tvs they're they're very thin chassis and they're they're downward firing and the speakers are at the base of the the tv you know and of course they're going to sound terrible but there are lots of great um alternatives available um to enhance the sound of your tv you know, from from um, simple sound bars, e- even clever ones, but like the Panasonic and the um, Samsung that I recently reviewed, where you can break them in half and use them as stereo speakers or as a sound bar with an active subwoofer. Um, all quite convenient and well designed and, and smart looking, and matches the TVs and, and looks really nice. You know, it's very partner pleasing. Uh, or you can go for the f- full 5.1 setup. You know, again, with with the amplifier and a Blu-ray player built in together. So, again, it's convenient. It's easy to fit into this into your lounge without being too intrusive. Uh, and, and it sounds really good for the money. Um, I wonder you know, if that's there are options. I wonder if that's part of the problem with people's perception of um, sound to go with tellies. They think as soon as, you, as soon as you're going to uh, you know, add some external sound to it, they think you've got to go with five speakers. Which, of course, you don't. Which, of course, you don't. I mean, you get great I mean, sound off of two speakers and a sub, but just as easily. I mean, I spent ages with a little ellipse on MC and just, just uh, the digital output from the Skybox fed straight into the back of that, using that as my day-to-day stereo system. It, you, it, you can still run a little subwoofer off and hide it around the back if you wanted, but how much did I actually miss 5.1 day-to-day while running that system? No, almost never. Well, like I said before, I don't have any kind of system in the living room. Yeah, I, I, I'm in stereo I, in the... In yeah, the, uh, I, I don't need it, but... Like Ed was was getting at before, it's getting people onto the ladder and it's making it easy for them to get onto the ladder. And unfortunately, when you look at these systems, they require some kind of setup. And I think that is what puts people off. It's something that I've taken from the Picture Perfect campaign, speaking to people, um, normal members of the public, and they're terrified to go into the menu system in case they do something and break their TV, which, you know... Unless you're going into the service menu, which most pe- normal people would never do, um, you're not going to break your TV. And I think it's the same with, with, with adding on accessories onto the TV, like sound systems, like sound bars and stuff. 
it requires a certain level of setup, and I think that's what scares people. Well, um, the most telling one for me is the number of times I've encountered people who bought their first AV receiver comparatively recently. So they use an, they, they've got an auto setup program. People knock the auto setup on the head because they are genuinely concerned it's going to tear the speakers to shreds. I mean, if you're not even, I mean, even if the amplifier blandly says warning, loud noises outputting, it's still faintly alarming the first time you hear an auto setup program really strut its stuff. And, you know, with every justification, a number of people knock it on the head and you know no i didn't run it it, it sounded like it was going to tear, tear me expensive and newly purchased speakers to bits and yeah uh, 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 literally even though the product is capable of doing a, a reasonably sterling job getting itself in, in running order people don't even go that far out of fear of of, of me, sort of mullering their equipment i mean you just have to look at hdmi connectors and the amount of people that put usb or try and force a usb lead into an HDMI slot to 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 get to the the heart of the problem, which is, and we we discussed it before, it's the ease of setup. It's the fact that you need something there that's easy to set up, easy to plug in, and that people are are going to have confidence in. And as soon as you get into audio, as soon as you get into having to wire speakers up in 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 the correct uh, phase, and and you know set your subwoofer to this, and people get scared and they're not interested anymore. There has to be some kind of solution there that that gets more people interested, that makes it plug and play, um, that makes the 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 fact that people can enjoy seven point one and not have to worry about cables and where the speakers are and so on. Um, and I guess Ed, this comes back to 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 what Yamaha tried to do with their sound projector, and I was lucky enough to hear the original prototype of that, and I think it was ridiculous sums of money was were spent on developing that. Um, Sixty thousand, seventy thousand pounds, I think, was the price tag at the time for that particular unit. Yeah, I mean, it was brilliant. It looked like a Doctor Who prop, um, which obviously that that helps. So all things along, it was it was a demonst- It was a, a decision taken. Ironically, it wasn't taken by uh, Yamaha or and people forget this. The other company that was heavily involved at the start was Pioneer. They made a product called the PDSP One. Um, it was actually. The decision to produce this very high-end item was actually taken by the company that put the legwork in to develop this multi-cell amplifier driver arrangement in the first place. Um, I'm not sure if mentioning, mentioning their name is, is is legit, so I'm going to hold off from that. But I'll tell you the strange fact that they're actually based in Hemel Hempstead, just down the road from me. Um, decision was taken to do that at a very serious level to demonstrate that it was capable of performing at a certain level and it would make an enormous amount of sense if you then shrank it and turned it into 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 something that was was much more room friendly but again it's one of those magnificent concepts and if you get it into people's lounges it normally can do things that delight people but they are i mean i can tell you from bitter experience they are a nightmare to demonstrate at shows they require enclosed spaces if you put too many people in the room they stop working um they 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 have various idiosyncrasies you need to choose your demo sequences quite carefully so on and so forth it's one of those classic examples where if you can just get people to try it in their own house it's fantastic but in a retail environment they thankfully it's getting a bit better as as you know certain programs have helped them along and certain policies have helped them along but it's still an, an absolute it's a it's a real leap of faith thing to get someone to try it out in the first place oh, i saw it and thinking they won't work if you put them in the corner of a room they do They're essentially bent, need one, two perpendicular walls roughly equidistant either side to actually work 
from about the second or third generation, um, the once the auto setup really got into its stride, right. the ability to cope with being in a corner. Don't get me wrong, refraction is reduced. You know, it's like playing kaplunk with sound. Um, it, it it isn't the easiest thing in the world to do, but it has it, it has got a lot better. Um, and it is it. <laughs> Sorry, kaplunk with sound. Well, in, you, can tell I, you can tell I used to work in marketing, can't yeah. you? Um, in, in space, but yeah. no one can hear you complunk. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, things have improved. But no, you absolute best results again with them being flat on a wall. But given the size of a lot of televisions, televisions actually in the UK, without any help from audio, have been migrating out of corners. Not universally, but yeah. in in a significant percentage, and it has helped the cause of the sound projector along a great deal. So I guess it, like you say, it needs somebody to come along with the bright idea, make it easy, make it even more plug and play. Um, but I, and I have guess, access to a lot of money. Yeah, and access to a lot of money. <laughs> so, so that's that's dream well. But where we are at the moment, there are solutions out there for people. It just requires a little bit of leap of, leap of faith, a bit of confidence uh, to set the thing up, or uh, dare I say, it, get a dealer in to do it. <laughs> Well, um, to be honest, the, 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 one of the biggest assistances that any product has, I mean, if you look at the home cinema gallery on the forums, it's it's always a nice sort of, it must be a confidence booster if you're shopping around, looking at something, going, mm, how's that going to work? And then you actually go and have a look at the photos where someone's already got it in and what it looks like, you know, in a, in a domestic setting. It's not priceless, but it's 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 valuable. It helps people along into into working out what it might actually translate to in their own listening space. You know that that's that's got to be worth something. And 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 in the absence of dealers, you know, being able to you know give the floor space over to absolutely everything, it might be one of the sort of better options out there. And I guess uh, just closing up, the best person to go to just for terms of quality of. Um, these products that are available, Steve, you've looked at a couple from the big brands like uh, LG and Samsung and so on. In terms of sound quality, in terms of ease of setup and so on, are they getting there? Are they are they simpler to use? Is the performance better than the TV? Yeah, definitely uh, on all counts. I mean, it's clearly better than the TV. Uh, and in fact, surprisingly good. I mean, considering the price point some of these things are being sold at, I, I actually thought that they sounded really good. Um the soundbars I was talking about earlier, particularly the Panasonic and, and Samsung soundbars, which also can be used as stereo um, speakers as well, with an active uh, active subwoofer, um, actually sounded really good. Um, infinitely better than the TV, obviously, but delivered a, you know a, a really good sound performance um, for for what was uh, I think three hundred pounds, so two hundred fifty pounds even, a little very little money, but great performance. Um, Going on to the sort of 5.1 systems, uh, again, um, you've got sort of built-in Blu-ray players uh, along with the amplification, which makes it nice and easy to install into your into your lounge. Um, some of the better systems, uh, I think the Panasonic's 5.1 system had the same speakers for all for front and rear, so you had, you had nice um, you know nice um, tonal balance around the room and, and panning of effects and that kind of thing worked really well. Plus a, a passive sub in this case, um, again, sounded really good. Um, I've just finished with the LG. Um, that had, you know, a uh, built-in Blu-ray player, uh, iPod um, connection, streaming, Bluetooth, everything you could possibly want, uh, all, all, all built in. Uh, and it worked. Uh, and it was actually pretty easy to set up and straightforward, easy to connect everything. It had wireless speakers, well, semi-wireless speakers for the rear. Um, 9.1 actually had additional um, speakers 
firing upwards. So it was trying to create some height height effect, basically. Uh, again, um, it worked really well. It sounded great, and um, uh, as a, as an all-in package, and and, and it had four identical uh, floor-standing speakers for front, left, and right, and rear, left, and right. And I have to say, uh, for for the money, um, it was spectacular value. Uh, and and again, very straightforward to install. I mean, as I said, they they've color coded everything. They they've created um, uh, connectors at the ends of the speakers, so you haven't, you aren't actually putting wire in. You're just plugging in these connectors which obviously makes it simpler for, for people who are unfamiliar with, with um, 5.1 systems. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, they're all, uh, I've been quite impressed at both the quality of sound, the quality, of the sort of fit and finish, and the sound quality and the ease of use and the, and the features that these systems have at less than 500 quid, which is really quite impressive. Well, we've run out of time on uh, tonight's podcast, unfortunately, and uh, it's been very interesting. Lots of subjects covered there and like I say hopefully next month we will move on to cinema sound because there are big changes happening in the cinema as we speak and no doubt those systems will eventually filter into the home um, so we're going to be talking about 22.2 sound <laughs> <laughs> oh I can which, hardly wait <laughs> which, is, uh, which is actually the BBC spec for 8k broadcast so um, it should be an interesting conversation like we say, we're hoping to have someone from Dolby and Datasat uh, to come along and talk about the technologies. So that's next month. Don't forget, we also publish podcasts every week of the month. On the 7th is the Movies Podcast, the 14th is the Games Podcast, the 21st, the Home Cinema Podcast, and on the 28th, we have the Podcast Extra. So like I say, that's all we've got time for tonight. So my thanks to Steve, Ed and Russell. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you, Phil. Cheers. Cheers, Phil. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks very much for listening. We will see you again next month. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.